and welcome to the last episode of season one of A Palace for the People. Thank you so much for listening in all the way to the end. We are thrilled to have you tuning in from everywhere. We have got listeners from all over the place. Our podcast is global. Um, we have listeners from Kenya, South Africa, Colombia, Zimbabwe, Mexico, Cameroon, Sweden, Poland, India, Rwanda, Qatar. And today's show is dedicated to each and every one of you. Today, we're also recording remotely. And thanks to our producer, May Francis, we're actually both at home, surrounded by pillows in our houses with our phones acting as the gadget. Yeah, it's so hard to record without whiskey. <sighs> sigh, 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 in case you haven't already heard my sigh. <laughs> so before we start today's episode... I wanted to ask you, Ashuka, what has been your favorite episode of the seven that we've done so far? That is a really difficult question to answer. Um, but if I had to pick some favorites, I'd say episode six really stood out to me. So learning about the King's African Rifles and how this relates to our history and what happened with soldiers that were conscripted and then coming back into Kenya, that's been quite a huge learning curve for me. May Francis, our producer, what has been your favorite episode so oh, far? Putting me on the spot, didn't know I was going to be in this episode. I think my favorite episode was definitely episode three. That was uh, The People Need Public Space. Uh, we interviewed Professor Alfred Omenia, Dr. Wangoi Kimari, and I think uh, I just learned so much about Nairobi, Nairobi's history from inception to now. It was a really interesting episode for me. I have to agree with you. I loved, loved, loved Wangui Kimari's insight. It has made me completely, it's completely shifted how I, how I look at the city. What about you, Siokal? What was your favorite episode? Same episode three, although episode six takes a close second, but just, just remembering again that cities are built in particular ways and those legacies endure until the present, you know? Um, my highlight in that episode had to be listening to how physical structures create particular types of people. Um, so when a city doesn't have enough palaces for people, then it, it, it affects the society and the individuals who live in that city. We have been receiving some questions over the course of the show, and we're very excited to be answering them all today. For this episode, we're joined by Siokao Mutonga, who, as you all know, is our resident fact checker. She has all the questions. Take it away, Siokao. Thank you, Ashuka. Our first question is from Adam in Bujumbura. Adam asks, are there any other sites in Kenya or outside of Kenya that are of interest to the Bookbank team? Mm, that's a good one. Thank you, Adam in Budrumbura. The immediate answer is, is always yes. We definitely want to see a lot more libraries in the city as we can build in our lifetime as an organization, as founders, as people who love public space. I think in the immediate future, we are working on the main branch now, soon. Um, and then we definitely have our heart set on the Kalalani Social Hall, which you would have heard about in episode two. 
Um, and then after that, to be honest, we've discovered so many libraries in this city, in this country that need our help. So we'll go wherever we are welcomed. Our second question is from Ahmed in Mombasa. Hi, my name is Ahmed. Um, and what I'm very curious about from BookBank is the future of libraries in Kenya. Um, I admire what BookBank has done in terms of renovating libraries and creating public spaces out of them. But I want to see more about what libraries will look like in the coming years and what are BookBank's plans to make libraries a lot more accessible, but also to adapt libraries to changing technology and changing social dynamics in Nairobi. Thank you so much, Ahmed, for that question. It's a brilliant one. This is something that we're always thinking about. And I think even initially, one of our greatest desires has been to ask the question, how do these libraries reflect the changing landscape of Nairobi, and especially in terms of technology? So it's one thing being known as the kind of silicon savanna of the region, but is that reflected um, in the kind of public spaces and public libraries in this instance? So we like to think about our approach in four ways, and the first is quite experiential. So this is about what people um, do Well they're at the library. So we want people to be able to nurture all sorts of pursuits, including academic and otherwise. The question about social um, is probably one of our key tenets because obviously the approach here is to make this as inclusive and as safe as possible. Um, and we're very happy to have been able to focus on Eastlands for the first two sites um, because it's quite clear that there's quite a huge need in that part of the city. The architecture is an ongoing thing. We'll be moving on to a third project in that regard in no time. And then a really crucial part as well is the kind of digital experience. So introducing technology into every aspect that we're doing. And we've just begun doing this with the recent digitization of just under 22,000 archives that we're really looking forward to making accessible to people everywhere. Um, and we hope that that addresses the question about changing technologies and how libraries adapt those. Thank you, Ashuka. Our third question is from Sakani in Nairobi. I would like to know, as we are moving towards digital books and online reading and stuff like that, what are BookBank's plans in providing digital access in the libraries? Thank you. Mm, nice. Uh, Washuka just uh, touched on that um, in the previous question, and we are already building um, these archives and these resources. We, we're, we're taking stock of what we have, or we have taken stock of what's already in the library, what needs to be digitized. We have digitized some of that material already. And the, and the plan is to, to diversify as much as possible. So yes, we have some of the richest archival material in the region, I dare say, um, but what else do we need to put into the digital space um, of this library so that the, 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 the collection digitally can match the aspirations of the people of, the, of, of Nairobi or the users of the library? So there's lots of kind of work happening in that, in that, in that front. We are trying to make sure that whatever access you need to the library, to the physical space is granted to you by some kind of digital resource. That could be a library card or a wristband. And that card is what kind of gives you all of the access to these things that we're building, the archive, the, the physical spaces, the eBooks that we hope to, to, to license and put on, on portals or work with portals that already had eBooks um, on their on the catalog. So we have big plans. It's a lot of work and it's a, it's a steep learning curve, but it's the kind of stuff that, um, that keeps us kind of excited about all of the wonderful innovation in the literary scene and other and other places that that's happening in in Nairobi.
Thank you, Shiro. And let's move on to our fourth question, which, which is from Sarah in Indiana. I'd like to know, what do you find most inspiring about the work that you do? Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I think there's so many um, different aspects that touch across so much um, of what you hear about when you're talking about inclusivity, um, especially. So for me, I'd have to say the community participation. Um, it's been really wonderful to watch what happens when you make these processes um, truly participatory, right? So when you talk to people about not just the history of these sites, because the communities that we're dealing with have been living there for a long time. They're custodians of these spaces in a massive way. And I think including them in redesigning them, in thinking about the purpose they can serve, and also in working directly on the projects, for me, has been one of the most satisfying things to see. Mm, I'm going to have to echo that one. Um, it will not be the most diverse answer, but it, it truly is at the center of what we do. Seeing people inside those libraries, seeing the the response, not just the, from the users, but the librarians, for instance, Jacob and his team, like what their jobs mean to them in these spaces that have received such um, delicate care and consideration, and not just from 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 Bookbank, but from the people who have told us what they want to the spaces as well. So it has got to be the community. Um, these spaces were never empty, even before Bookbank was in the picture. There was already a healthy stream of people walking into those spaces every single day, wanting more from them. And to just see what um, giving them more has done um, or is doing. I mean, the most heartbreaking thing at the moment is that their libraries are closed post-renovation. But, but even before we did the architectural work, the the difference of film screen screening does, the difference asking people what they want does, that has been completely mind-blowing. So it's definitely the people for me. I agree. I agree. And then we have Joanne. My name is Joanne from Eldoret. I'm wowed and inspired by the work that you do in restoring libraries, creating places where people are able to have... Um, information exchange and collective experiences and memories. Uh, one that I'm really amazed is the step you recently took in digitizing the libraries, which is very um, noble. And my question would be in your future plans, are you looking at doing this outside Nairobi? Are you looking to partner with people or communities or organizations that are outside Nairobi and looking to do the same thing? Yes, 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 yes. I don't think it was ever the intention of Washuka or myself to, to, to do all of the work. It's not possible. We don't have enough <laughs> enough of anything to do all of the work, and which is why it's been really in intentional for us to create a blueprint. Um, this podcast is a really big part of that blueprint because we really hope that we can inspire people who live in another part of this country who want to do the same thing kind of look at our process and be like, okay, I know where to start. Let's do it that way. And to do the same for their theaters, for their cinemas, for their music schools, for anything where stories and culture live, because that's what's truly important, that that the, the things that remind us of who we are are preserved and and treasured and shared.
Hi, Bookbunk team. I've been loving your podcasts, um, especially episode six about the King's African Rifles. Um, I've also just finished reading um, Afterlives by Abdul Razak Gorina, uh, which is set around German East Africa and the First World War. Uh, and what I especially loved is that um, he doesn't, it's not just the Iskari experience, he also looks at, um, you know, the civilians and women and and the traumas also left by the war. So it goes um, way further than, you know, books like Burma Boy or uh, Frère Dame by um, David Diop um, and, and really looks at other voices um, in the war. Uh, and so my question is this one, um, do you think fiction um, is, you know, maybe kind of the future of history in the sense that maybe it can give voices to people um, whose voices we've lost because there's no, you know, evidence uh, or, or written sources of it? Uh, and what role can libraries play in, in bringing those voices back and, and giving us a sense of um, those forgotten voices. Thanks. Thank you so much for this question and for listening along. And thank you for that reference about Abdul Razak Ghana's book, Afterlives. Uh, we'll definitely make a point to pick up a copy of that. The first part of your question about historical narratives, um, and I suppose the role that literary fiction can play in that, um, I think is a very important one the way that the history about the Second and the First World Wars has been told has tended to erase the role of the African individual, both as a soldier who's been conscripted to go and fight, but also in terms of the effect that it had on individuals, on families, on entire communities. There's a wonderful book actually by Mudoni Likimani that was published some time ago along the same lines called Passbook Number F47927, which tells a story about the role of women in the Mau Mau liberation struggle. And then recently we also came across a book by Petina Gapa called Out of Darkness, Shining Light, which is the story about Dr. Livingstone, but really told from the perspective of the Africans who were around him. Um, so the short answer to that is yes, literary fiction continues to play a really huge role and I, I think in humanizing what both Africans endured, as well as the effect of these wars on entire communities. As to the second part of the question about the role that libraries can play in preserving these sorts of narratives, I'm reminded of a performance that was done by a wonderful group called the Lamb Sisterhood last year at the library, which is called Weaverbird which is, a, I think, a 20-minute theatrical performance that you can now watch on our YouTube channel um, by just searching for Bookbank. So this performance told the story of Muldoni Wakirima, who was a general, actually, in the Mao, Mao liberation struggle. So do definitely check this performance out. Um, but as to the role that libraries can play, we would like to to imagine that libraries can be the places, not just preserving these sorts of stories and making them available to the general public, but also bringing them alive by commissioning performances, um, by commissioning studies, not just into those periods, but into particular areas of work. And we look forward to doing more and more of that in the coming years. Thank you.
We also got questions from our social media friends. So we've got Tatiana who reached out to us on Instagram and asked, can youth from any part of the city access the library for free? And in this situation, she's thinking of friends in Mavare who do not have a MTA or community library. Mm, Nice one. Thank you, Tatiana. Um, The short answer is yes. Um, currently, the libraries are are accessible for free. You can walk into the library and sit down and study if you want to, assuming they were open. They're currently closed because of COVID. But if they were open, you could do that for free. If you had to take a book off the shelf, you then need a membership. And often the membership will come with a fee. We haven't figured out what that fee is yet, but we will soon. But before we stepped into the picture, I think the fee was about a thousand shillings a year, which is quite um, accessible. It's about $10 a year. Um, and even if it's accessible to, to, um, to some people and not the other, we do plan to have um, programs where if you need a, 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 a membership donated to you, we have room for that to happen. So the, the, the access of the public library will always be available, but the contents, because they have to be protected, because there's a lot of like work that goes into securing um, the contents and how they're tracked, that will have to be priced, but not at a premium rate. So Tatiana, please send all your friends over to our libraries when they're open. And I'll I'll jump in here and also tell you, Tatiana, that last late last year we carried out some research on public libraries in the city and we created a map out of this. So in Madhari there is a community library. Um and, and you can find it on a digital map that we'll be sharing sometime in the coming months. And we also have aficionado who also reached out to us on Instagram. And they ask, when, where, and how will the digitized archives be accessible to the public? I think this is a question for our resident fact checker. They will be ready, hopefully, sometime this month. There's a few internal structures that we are putting in place to make sure that we are protecting the content that we have digitized and that we are sharing it with you in a way that's fully accessible. So just keep checking our socials as soon as we are ready to make it accessible to everyone. You will know if you follow us. I think that's a a very great way of saying that we're currently in a copyright hole. Yeah, so we're just in a process, which is not to say it's, it's, it's impossible or difficult, but we just want to, to get it right. Uh, so we're looking forward, like Siokao says, to making the, all this stuff that we've digitized available. But of course, we've got to make sure that all the copyright protections and um, all the legal questions that are not always so much fun to deal with are addressed before we do so. But coming very soon, and thank you so much for following us on Instagram. Continue to do so. And as you know, we share all our updates on all our social media platforms. So as soon as we're ready, you will definitely be the first to know. We also have Shiko who sent us a voice note on WhatsApp and she asks, would you consider restoring other historically significant spaces like the National Archives, for example? Hmm. Thank you, Shiko. I, I say yes, but I have a special place in my heart for libraries. So it's a very hesitant yes. <laughs> but I'm very keen to hear what Mashuka would say. I think it's important to get into partnerships that can, you know, restore all these monuments, including libraries that are significant to us. But I think it's also important to draw the line between 
um, <laughs> what are things that can be done under partnerships and, and you know, for instance, what, the, what is the government um, obliged or obligated um, to handle? Because we are talking about public buildings that ideally are public, publicly funded or funded via public coffers. Um, so I would say yes, but with hesitation, obviously with a caveat that whatever model we emerge with here may prove one that can explore bigger projects like that, um, but also kind of clarify in terms of, from a governance perspective, um, what different parties um, have, what responsibilities different parties have, including the national and regional government. Thank you both for explaining to Shiko. Um, how this would work should it happen. Then we also have Shirley who reached out to us on WhatsApp as well. And Shirley asks, do you have any concerns about how the changes BookBank is making will be sustained once you hand over these spaces? So do you have plans to have some type of involvement in the long term? I think this one keeps Shiro awake at night a lot. <laughs> it does. Whoever you are, Charlie, you know my soul. She knows my soul, this quest, this, this, this listener. Um, yeah. Um, my worries are, are that we have concerns, but not concerns that we haven't kind of tried to troubleshoot, right? So from a very structural level, there's never a season where we fully hand over these spaces. There's never a, re- a season where we'll give them back to, to the to the system that that left them in the state that they're in now. Um, not because we're better at it, but because we're better at it if we do it together. Um, so they, the county has had almost 90 years of, of doing it. They have made some mistakes, great. We're here to repair them, but we don't have all of the answers. So I don't think we're ever going to leave these spaces. I think that once we are done with the renovation, there's the, the part of our partnership that deals with the management of these spaces. And for the Macmillan, for the main branch, it's actually an act that states how these spaces should be managed for, for, the, for, the, for the rest of its life. So it's a question of implementing these very clear instructions and then just um, caring for as long as we can, because I don't think that we'll ever exit. So yes, we have plans to, to answer the second part of that question. We have lots and lots and lots of documents, but we're also aware that these plans have got to be fluid and flexible and have got to always um, keep the, the libraries at the center of kind of the priority of the, of the planning. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Washuka, anything you'd like to add there? Um, yes. <laughs> I think also one of the things that we've been keen um, on is starting to think already about income generating activities um, that these libraries benefit from um, and that help to sustain them in the longer term. So I think we'll be looking at a kind of mix of things between you know, memberships, things like fundraising events, like the gala that's hosted at the library every year in December, Um, you know, spaces like bookshops and other spaces that complement the experience of being in a library. And then, of course, there's making the sustainability case um, to funding bodies that are ideally responsible (laughs) for maintaining these spaces. So I think it will be a mix between income generation and also public spending. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Then Mwende reached out to us via Twitter. And 
Mwende asks, would you consider expanding your library restoration activities to the rest of the continent? Shout out to Mwende Mutulu, who I'm assuming this is, who is one of our avid listeners. Thank you for following us on this journey. We really appreciate you. Now, expanding to the rest of the continent, which I think is also related to perhaps the question that Adam in Bujumbura asked, I think it would be interesting to see what results you get from sort of community involvement. So I imagine that replicating this in a place like Lagos um, is something that you'd really deeply have to think about and get into local partnerships for, um, because the very thing that we're looking to address, you don't want to create that same problem elsewhere, right? Um, You don't want to walk into someone's neighborhood or someone's city and say, okay, we think this is how um, you should restore these spaces. Um, I think it would be interesting to explore um, in light of what local partnerships might be available for it. Um, and maybe a scenario where BookBank is sharing its learning rather than driving the process. I would love, 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 love to build libraries in Dakar and in Lagos and in Kigali. And I think that um, that's obviously for very selfish reasons because it just means we can live there for a little bit. But yes, um, <laughs> I echo um, Lashuka's sentiments. I think that the the blueprint is ever so important because a big part of the, the blueprint is that it, it takes it takes the texture of the city um, into consideration. Um, so Monday, if you know any, any libraries that need our love in wh- wherever you're writing from, <laughs> please let us know. Thank you very much to all our friends who sent in their questions. And we hope that... Um, we have answered them, but should you have any further questions about our work, um, you can feel free to always get in touch with us through our socials or our email addresses. Um, our final question will be one that we get asked all the time in different ways, but most people, if not all, who come into contact with our work want to know how they can get involved with us. And for some people, it's how do I volunteer with BookBank? How do I uh, give some money to BookBank? How do I help with buying books for the libraries? So you guys tell us how our friends can continue to partner with us. Um, yeah, we get this question a lot. And it's really a question of how do you want to be involved? I think a really good first step is to join our mailing list. We have lovely letters that we send out as often as we have news. And often the news is, hey, we need toilet paper donations for this branch, or we need volunteers to come and help us sort through the books, or we need a hell of a lot of money to restore the library. So I think we, we're very good at like shouting when we need stuff. Um, and there's always some some way to help, be it money or or resources or connections or networks or time. Um, we are really trying to structure things that way people can come and be fed by the process as much as they give to it, um, which is a process that we've started doing this year. So please sign up to our, our mailing list via bookbank.org, um, follow us on socials, connect with us, and then just um, when something that you can do pops out, let us know. Thank you everyone for sending in your questions. As you already know, we are always accessible through our social media handles on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can also get in touch with us through our work emails and even our work WhatsApp number. Over to you, Shiro and Washuka. Thanks, Yakal. And that is a wrap for us on season one. But please, 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 please don't unsubscribe because we will have 
more audio magic coming your way soon. We um, referenced this research we did last year where we're trying to figure out how many libraries there are in Nairobi and where they are and who funds them, who, who cares for them, who is, is using them. And we are working this year on a shorter kind of mini series about that research and its output. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, in case you get lonely on these podcast streets, here are some podcasts that we're loving that can kind of keep you busy until we, until we come back. So the first one is Until Everyone is Free, which is an amazing podcast in Sheng about one of Kenya's independence heroes. Um, his name is Pio Gama Pinto. It's exquisitely produced. Um, I'm a great fan of, of that podcast. And then there's Afri Retu, which is my personal favorite history, history class. And then there's Matire Gemi, which I have to let Washuka speak of because I know she loves it dearly. This is like your fave, fave, right? Yes, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's a bi-weekly one um, where you learn quite a bit about Agikoyo culture. Um, history and heritage and one of the most fascinating things about it is that it really focuses on pre-colonial histories mm, mm. yeah it's it's such a wonderful um, piece of, of audio magic so tune in all of these podcasts are wherever podcasts live and the last two i want to recommend are the african trumpet which is from the elephant and finally um pros and possibilities which is produced by our very good friend mel bogwa hey mel i hope you're well and yeah so those should keep you nice and busy before before we come back right and here we are at the end thank you for listening we will be back soon with some more audio magic and in the meantime follow us on social media as always this episode is produced by me angela washuka wanjiro kwenange and may francis with fact checking by siokao mutonga we would like to thank michael onyego Aida and Rokaholi Nambi, Belinda Koinange, Sandra Shege, Mwende Mutulu, Adam Otieno, Judy Kibinge, Ses Karimi, Jonathan B, Maya Leko, Chris King, the British Council in Nairobi for their support, and as always, our dynamite team at the Book Bank. You are listening, quite fittingly, to Nairobi by Atemi Oyungu. <laughs>